Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Bryant Manning, and I serve as the pastor here at the Wesley Foundation at FSU and TCC. We are a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church on the campus of Florida State University here in Tallahassee, Florida. These sermons that we're presenting here are designed, written, and presented for college students who are exploring their lives of faith and growing in their walk with Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that you too will be inspired by these messages, that you will learn something about the scriptures, and that you'll leave with your life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for listening. We're in the middle of a sermon series. If you'll go back to that graphic, Zach, that I'm calling The Floor is Lava. Boom. Yeah, The Floor is Lava. And it's based on like, uh, you know, with the, the, the game you played as kids where you try to like step over things. And I'm talking about topics, things that we often don't talk about, or at least we don't kind of move forward through in the church. We don't explain very well in the church. That's what I want to talk about in this sermon series. And, and this morning, I'm going to give a, a message called Gentle Correction. Come on, everybody say Gentle Correction. Gentle correction, yeah. I want to take us to this passage in Galatians 6. So here now the reading of God's Word. This is Galatians 6, the first 10 verses. Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you won't be tempted too. Carry each other's burdens And so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they are fooling themselves. (laughs) Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit, say Spirit, Spirit, will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then, let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. Come on, let's pray over the preaching of God's Word. God, we ask that your words be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. God, we ask that they would speak to us and through us, that they would establish your kingdom on this earth. God, may the words in my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and in your sight alone, O God. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. We love you. We praise you. We give you thanks. Be with us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. John Mulaney is a comedian. This is him right here. He's a comedian, uh, stand-up comedian. He also was a writer for SNL for a long time. Somebody tell me what SNL is. Saturday Night Live. Yes. So he was a writer for SNL. Now, if a lot of times with writers, you don't know who they are. Some of them are in the cast. Some of them aren't. Some of them spend some time in, you know, in the show and not. Sometimes they have careers afterwards, sometimes not. So you don't always know who the writers are. The reason you know who John is now is because he's done so much. But there are some other things that he's done, like this character of Stefan. Do you know Stefan? 
Okay, maybe it's a generational thing. I expect you to laugh. This is Stefan from, from SNL, and, and he was the creator of this character. So if you're familiar with Bill Hader and a lot of his comedy, John Mulaney did this. John Mulaney's a brilliant comic. He's, he's absolutely hilarious. I am not telling you as your pastor to go watch his stuff on Netflix. Uh, but it's very funny and, um, and, you know, not church appropriate. So I can't show you any clips. But <laughs> he's amazing. He's the only person who I think could make a joke about, like, kind of rough national leadership about like a metaphor of a horse loose in a hospital. If you're familiar with his work, you will know that joke. If not, you can go look it up later. John, John is a brilliant writer, a brilliant comedian, but he also has had a big problem because when he was in college, he was uh, addicted to cocaine, addicted to cocaine. He graduated from college in like 2005 or so. He was addicted to cocaine, and then he got clean when he came out, and he had this amazing comedic career, right, including all the things I just mentioned, and then made a lot of friends with a lot of people. He's done things like Big Mouth and other big shows that have made it. He was on Oh Hello on Broadway with Nick Kroll. He's done a ton of stuff, but then in 2020, in December of 2020, he hosted the Halloween episode of SNL. And then almost immediately after that, had a relapse, a really bad relapse. And like most people who have a drug problem, he kind of spent time pretending like he didn't have a drug problem, right? Like most of us, when we're, when we're in a serious situation like that, we deny it for a long time. And he got a job on Seth Meyers' show, and then he, absolutely, he did this absolutely unhinged bit on uh, the royal crown tale, or tales from a true crown or whatever. I don't know. It was some dumb thing. He came out in a trench coat that he literally found backstage and put on 10 seconds, and he did the entire interview in sunglasses. And, um, you know, it was at that point, and when people who were close to him started thinking, maybe John has a problem, like something's wrong with John. So they hosted what has now, uh, you know, infamously been called John Mulaney's Intervention, okay? And in uh, December of 2020, they got together a bunch of his friends. These are like famous comics, people who, who know his humor, who are, you would know them because they uh, you've seen their specials and that sort of thing. They all get together in his friend's apartment at 7 p.m. the night they're going to do this. This is like December 20th of 2020, or December 18th of 2020. And they're going to uh, do this at 7 o'clock. So what does John do? Because he's supposed to come there for a dinner with a friend from college, right? So at 7 o'clock, he goes and gets a haircut. And he does that at SNL because... Uh, I guess they're a full-time barbershop. They're not. It was a joke. He, like, walked in. He tells this story. You can watch it because he tells it way better than I do. He, he walks in, and he's like, hey, I need a haircut. And they were like, John, you're not hosting this week. <laughs> you know, like, you, you can't have a haircut. And then he said, like, they do that thing when you, you realize you're talking to a junkie, and you're like, it'd just be easier to cut his hair, you know? Like, I'm not going to convince him to go away. So uh, they go, and they, he cuts his hair, and then he goes, and he walks in, and he's going to a friend from college's apartment to eat dinner, and he opens the door, and he sees Seth Myers, and he goes, oh, because he knew exactly what was going to happen in that moment. Now, just in picture, some of the funniest people you know, people on TV and the movies and all that, who are getting together to have an intervention, and then they're told by the professional interventionist 
that they're not allowed to do any bits, right? Like, they're not allowed to make any jokes throughout this entire, entire thing. It's terrible, right? That would be horrible. So he uh, does what most people do when they're faced with an intervention. They try to get out of it. He asks if he can go to the bathroom a few times because he had just come from his drug dealer's apartment, and he had a lot of cash on him and a lot of drugs on him. And they take him down. There's one point he goes, is there going to be a car downstairs? Because he, like, knows how this goes, right? And sure enough, there was a car, and they took him. He went to rehab for, like, two or three months, and then he went to a halfway house, and then weirdly stayed in Jimmy Kimmel's pool house for a month until he like worked his way back in to life. I was thinking about this as I was prepping for this week because most stories, particularly in Hollywood, most stories about people with drug problems don't end like that. Right? Most stories end in a different way. Either um, some, uh, hopefully they go to rehab and that sort of thing, but a lot of people struggle with this the rest of their life, right? And if you've ever known anybody with an addiction to anything, you know that this is a, a lifelong journey that you go through if you have an addiction to anything. Most people don't deal with that. Some people die as a result of their drug habit. In fact, many people who have come through the stage of Saturday Night Live have died because of this constant struggle in their life where they've dealt with the drug addiction. John's didn't because he had people in his life, very specific people, who said something is wrong. They saw him on Seth Meyers in a trench coat, and they thought, something's wrong with John. Like, something is wrong with Johnny. There's a little bit of a taboo of getting help in today's world. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you probably are personally not the first to admit your faults to everybody, right? You, you, if I asked you to come up here and admit all of your sins, all of your, your transgressions, all of the things that you've, and I asked, I just gave you a microphone, I, there, there would not be a line to get up here, you know what I'm saying? Like it would probably take a few seconds for a single person to admit anything because we don't often do that. We don't admit these issues. Even more so, I think a lot of times when we're the friend in the situation and we see somebody who's struggling with something, we see somebody who's dealing with something, we're not often quick to step in. Sometimes in in an extreme situation like John Mulaney's, people do. Hopefully you will. But the truth is we have friends that are doing things that are unhealthy for them all the time. We have friends who say things that they shouldn't say all the time. We have friends who, who, who say some things that haven't been said in decades. And because of the awkwardness of that situation, because that's like our friendship's kind of on the line, what do we do? We just kind of laugh at all. <laughs> Please, let's not talk about that later, right? Or we all have friends that are like crazy gossips, and we are some of them, Right? And instead of uh, actually calling out that gossip, instead of actually saying, you know, I don't think we should actually say that, you know, I actually don't think that's true, and I, don't, I think if you say that, you're perpetuating this myth and this narrative. Like, we could say that, but what do we do instead? We, like, take part in it, don't we? This is a problem that we have in our world, in our society, in our generations. And I think if we look at John Mulaney's intervention, we, we see that something is true there, and it's that if friends do step in, if friends are willing to have an awkward conversation, if friends are willing to do something, that they can get help. 
Or if friends are willing to step in and say, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. There is that awkwardness there, and it might be, you know, you might hold it against them for a couple months. But if friends are willing to do that, then the behavior could change, especially over time. That's what it taught us. So what I want to talk about this morning is correcting someone, which is kind of a hard topic to talk about because nobody ever wants to do it. Correcting somebody, and and in that process, loving them. So I want to start with a a little topic here, though. Our generations, and I say I'm a millennial, you are not, but I say millennial, you're Gen Z. Our, Our generations together have struggled with this. I think part of it is because we don't want to relive some of the the tough things and, frankly, the bigotry that happened in previous generations. And so we're willing to take a step forward and and think about things differently and do things differently. And we have done a really good thing, which is lead with love, right? We have led with love as our generations for, you know, 30 seven years, uh, right? Like we have, we have really made a specific decision to lead with love. But we have had some problems, I think, and this is something none of us want to hear, including myself, but we've had some problems with then taking that love to being acceptance of every single action and behavior. So in other words, because we want to love first, right, we then are very reluctant to judge, and we don't want to judge, okay? And so then, because we don't want to be judgmental, we don't judge. And then as soon as we don't judge, it becomes a pretty slippery slope to just accepting everything as it is. And I want to be careful about this because this is used by a lot of people to correct uh, behaviors that I, I, would, I would identify as identities rather than behavior. And so there, there are some difficult things there. I don't want to touch those topics right now for fear of distraction. But the truth is, there is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as correct and incorrect. There is such a thing as holiness and sinfulness. Those things exist. And as the church, we have to talk about them, and we can't just accept everything as it comes. Otherwise, we start rolling down the hill, and the momentum gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we go on. So, if John Mulaney's friends had said, you know what, it's fine for him. It's fine for him. Hey, he's doing okay. Look. He's on Seth Meyers. How many people you know are on Seth Meyers, right? Oh, he's doing fine. He's still alive, right? How, how many, and there probably were people that justified some of his behavior. Everybody did that. Chris Farley did that. John Belushi did that. Everybody who came through Saturday Night Live did that. I am sure there are people in his life that did that. In fact, a lot of his fans probably were like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's coked up, but you know, whatever. So if we start, though, with understanding that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and we don't accept it, but we then push into it a little bit, then we can be corrective in our behavior. Now, this we read from Galatians 6. I'm going to go back to it in a second. But in Galatians 5, he does what he, Paul does when he writes Galatians, he does what he does throughout the entire book, which is fight against legalism. And I think if your brain is like struggling right now to kind of figure out where's the line here, what's he talking about, maybe the legalism piece 
is what he's talking about. Because in the book of Galatians, he's writing to a people who had been told that they had to do this, 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 and this to follow Jesus. They had to do this, 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 and this, and this to be considered a follower of Jesus, to be considered a Christian. And a lot of it had to do with circumcision, which was a practice of the Jewish people. And so in that process, they were, they were saying, well, everybody who is not circumcised has to be circumcised in order for them to become a Christian. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 that's a false gospel. Do you see the legalism involved here? Like, oh, you have to do this and do this and do this to be a Christian. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, no, 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 no. In fact, you don't have to do that at all. But he is saying there's some benefits to being a person of God. So he's, he's fighting against the legalism of like having to check off boxes. Okay, I did this and I did this and I did this today. For us to be like, okay, well, I read my scripture today and I prayed and I went to church and that makes me a Christian. I don't know. Have you checked the way you behave? Do you see, you see the problem here? Like you can check off boxes, but there is some other things that are involved here. So here's what he says in Galatians 5. And I pulled this out of Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a paraphrase of this. Let's start in verse 19. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time? Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impetus to be loved and be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vision habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, ooh, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions uh, here, uh, ugly parodies of community. I could go on as if he didn't already. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. I don't want to think about the legalism. I want to think about the things that he warns against. Because here's the next thing he says. You may recognize this passage. But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see how he's drawing a distinction behind the things that you get if you do things that are only for you and you only focus on yourself? And then he says, but if you were to live according to the way of God, he says, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, those are fruits of, uh, of living according to who God is. So there is such a thing between right and wrong. There is such a thing as between good and bad. And that, that's something that I think our society, to be honest with you, and particularly in college, like we have to understand and we have to choose to accept that there is such a thing between right and wrong. Now let's talk about correction. In Galatians 6, he says, but brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Zach, I'm going to go back to this word. There's a word that Paul uses in the Greek here called uh, katar, ka, almost say it right. katartizo. Say katartizo. Look to your friends to the left and say katartizo. 
I love that because everybody looks the same direction. Uh, Catartizo. Now, here's the thing about Catartizo. That's that whole, like, set right so that you may help them kind of thing. It's translated a thousand different ways. Here's what we know about this. This is mostly used in the medical profession. It's mostly used in the medical profession for people who set broken bones right. So if you've ever broken your bone, you probably went into the, I hope so, you probably went into the doctor to have them set the bone before they put a cast on it, right? And if they set it incorrectly, your life's going to suck, right? And if they set it correctly, then hopefully it will heal just as it's intended, okay? So, so this is the word that they use, to, that Paul uses to set right. So, so for instance, if you, are, uh, if you have a broken bone and you go to the doctor, the doctor has a responsibility to do it. What Paul is saying here is that you as a friend, if you see somebody in their sin, if you see somebody in their transgression, you have a responsibility to set it right. You have a responsibility to set it right. I'm going to say it a thousand more times. You have a responsibility to set it right. That's the word he's using here because the doctor is going to do it and they're going to hope that once it's set right, the healing can begin. Do you see how important that word is? If you set that bone correctly, then the healing will begin. There's another word he uses here at the end. He uses the word gentle. He says, set that bone right, set it on the right path, and do it with a spirit of gentleness. Man, I think that's probably the most important thing we have to hear. What does it mean to love somebody and correct them in a gentle way? It means that we have to meet it with judgment, but not in a judging way. You see the difference? In other words, if I were to go and I were to call out the sin of a friend of mine and correct it, because the scriptures say I have to correct it, I have to set it right, but I do it in a way that tells them that, like, basically they're the worst person I've ever met in my life. Or I do it in a way that says, I'm going to, you know, you're, you're going to go to hell if you do that. Or if I do it in a way that says, I would never do something like that. I can't believe you. Do you see that? And how many times have we done that? You know, I think the first step to, humi- or to gentleness is, is humility. There's a phrase that uh, we use in society. They say, there but by the grace of God go I. And I think if you're thinking about somebody in your life that you might need to provide some correction to or, or maybe somebody's providing it to you, I think the first best step that you could take is humility. In fact, most translations in Genesis 6, 1 and 2, it actually uses the word humility. What does it mean to say humility, to be humble? Just to, you know, take a step back and say, you know what, I, I, I'm helping you because I've been there too. I'm helping you because it's only by the grace of God I'm not in that situation. I don't think John Mulaney's friends were in a place where they were just like, man, John, you're the worst person. No, they said, man, we've seen a lot of people go through this. Probably some in that room gone through that. And we know how bad it is. So here's our chance to correct it. I think it starts with humility. The second thing about it is that it's just careful. It's just careful. Here's the thing I want to say to you. If you know somebody who's kind of stuck in a behavior, 
in a path that you're like, man, that is bad for them. I want you to be as careful as possible. What do I mean? If the doctor is setting your bone and they just, uh, 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 right, probably going to cause more damage, right? But if they're careful. So here's what I invite you to do. If somebody is in a place where they need help in whatever situation you're thinking of, Put yourself in their shoes. What is it that they're hurting from right now? Most people fill their lives with sin because of some sort of hole. What is it that they're missing right now? What is it that they're missing? When I was in college, I had a conversation with somebody who I was just really frustrated with his behavior. And I was in my high holy, you know, moment like, oh, I'm going to be the best Christian in the world. And uh, I just didn't approach it with care. I didn't approach it with humility. I didn't approach it with grace. I didn't approach it in a gentle way. I was not careful. It turns out his parents were going through a divorce. I had no idea. His parents were, were dealing with something, and he was very close to both his parents, and both parents were doing that thing that parents often do in these, where they start to claim children for their own. And he felt very torn. And so he behaved in a different way. And had I asked that question before I met him with some sort of correction, don't you think I would have been more careful? Don't you think I would have met it with more grace? Don't you think that I would have met it with more humility? There but by the grace of God go I. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Wesley Foundation and FSU and TCC. We hope this was uplifting to you and helpful in your walk with Jesus. If you would like to support us, we would love your prayerful and financial support. You can give online at fsuwesley.com or on Venmo by just searching FSU Wesley Foundation. Thanks again.